This week, um, we're going to speak from the, the course of Scripture is Matthew 7, verses 7 through 12. But I'm actually uh, going to break this course up into three pieces, and I'll tell you about that after I read the Scripture to you. So Matthew 7, 7 through 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. So I've had a lot of weeks between kidney stones and um, Easter and all these things to be at this point in Scripture and ponder and pray and read and study. And just yesterday afternoon, I was praying and I said, Lord, I mean, I, I can surface, I can see all this stuff and I, and I could talk about it, but it seems like maybe there's something more. And I got this picture, I'm, I'm not a picture, picture, impression, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but if you look at this course of scripture, what I'm looking for is a thread. You know, all through the Sermon on the Mount, there's threads, there's themes, there's things that for me are very difficult to see because I'm like a, a small bite kind of a guy, you know. If it says, ask, seek, and knock, I stop right there because I can hear her say, ask, seek, and knock. And then I move on to what's the next sentence without necessarily always recognizing that that sentence is tied to the previous one and it's tied to the next one. So I've been praying and praying that God would show me the threads, the themes. What is it that goes through these things? Where's There's a thread. There it is. Yeah. Something's shedding all over the place. Oh, no, it's me. My hair's gone. Oh. I'm looking for... The, the the more depth in these. And so yesterday, he showed me how, what, and why for these three courses of Scripture. That if you look at these, you can see at the beginning a how, you can see in the middle a what, and at the end you can see why. So I, I thought, okay, wow, I love this, except it's Saturday afternoon, you know, and tomorrow's Sunday. So I start look, trying to look at them from the perspective of how, what, and why, and he must have wanted to bless you, and he must have known that we were going to be a little while before we got to the message this morning, because I decided not to try to do it in one message, because either we'd be here till three in the afternoon, or I couldn't give it the justice that it deserved. So this morning, we're going to only deal with the how. And, and this isn't the order that I would choose to teach in. Typically, I think I would define the what. <laughs> and then speak about how we get at the what and, and why all that matters. But the way they're laid out in the scriptures is how, what, and why. So I'm just going to do it the way that the scripture would flow, and I'm sure that that'll make sense as we go. Amen? Amen. Okay, so the how is verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Ask, sorry, I'm like standing right on the edge of a sneeze, and it's, <clears throat> it's teasing me, I know it. Well, <laughs> something, something that wanted to mess with me. Um, ask, seek, and knock. And, and 
the scriptures, I don't understand why most translations say ask, seek, and knock, and then they footnote what we really mean, what the Greek really says is continually ask, continually seek, and continually knock. So when Jesus says that you should ask, you should seek, and you should knock, he's not speaking in a casual manner. And I don't know about the rest of you, but for me, short attention span has always been a problem. So when I'm asking God for what's your will, do we, do we build this thing or don't we? Do we start now? Do we start later? I'll ask, I'll seek, I'll knock, and I won't necessarily get a response. And then, you know, the next thought will blow by and I'll ask and I'll seek and I'll knock and I'll ask and I'll seek and I'll knock. And, and I haven't developed excellent perseverance on a particular thing. When I, when I meet a Christian who has a question for the Lord and they, they just fasten themselves down and they don't move until God speaks to them, I'm so admiring them because I want God to guide every area of my life. The church, my marriage, me as a father, me as a, as a son to God, every area I want him to lead me. And I have to learn that, that continuous asking, that continuous seeking, that continuous knocking, it's, it's to press in, press in, press in. If you look in um, Luke, let me just stop a minute. One of the things that's been really fun for me about, especially this part and the little bits that are coming up next in the Sermon on the Mount is that there are parallel scriptures in the other Gospels, in, in this case particularly in Luke. And in Matthew, he, he records this as this continuous sermon. But in Luke, it's plugged in just all over the place through the book of Luke. So you can look at the scriptures and you can gain greater context out of Luke or because of Luke. Not that there's greater context in Luke than there is in Matthew, but, but you can look at these scriptures in Luke and he can expand on you what he's trying to say because he didn't say it exactly the same way in Luke as he said it in Matthew. So we'll read some of these parallel scriptures as we go through the next part of this, um, these messages of the Sermon on the Mount. Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. Now hear this, he's teaching us about prayer, right? So, so internalize what the Lord is saying to you here. Now he was telling them a parable to show them at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart, saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will God, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him daily and night, day and night, and will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So Jesus is using this parable to try to teach people how to pray. And he says, at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. I don't know if you ever pray and lose heart. You didn't get an answer. You didn't see something move. You had kidney stones and they don't come out. Whatever that thing is, Jesus is saying, listen, you got to pray and not lose heart. Don't let anything get into your head, but that God is good. Don't let anything get into your head, but that God's will for you. You heard the Jeremiah scriptures. His will for you is good. He has a plan. But I don't see the plan, Lord. When's it going to happen? I've been praying and praying. Don't lose heart. Pray. So he uses this picture of this judge who's been given this place of authority who could care less about people. He doesn't have any respect or reverence for God. And here comes this widow lady, right? A widow lady back in this time, 
She's got nothing. She's got no authority. She's got no one to look out for her. She's just a widow lady. She's the easiest person for this judge to ignore. But she continues to come at the judge and come at the judge and come at the judge. I need justice. I need justice. I need justice. And he says, you know what? I could care less about her, but I'm giving her justice. Because if I don't give her what she asked for, she's going to wear me out because she's just never going to stop coming. Now, the parable does not depict this evil judge as God. Don't, don't see, okay, God doesn't care about me. It, it's not that the evil judge is God. What he's saying is look at this picture and look at how this woman got what she needed. I don't understand what stands between my prayers that would be in God's will and the actual manifestation, the fulfillment of those prayers. But I know that if I ask in his will, I know that if I ask with right motives, that he's going to hear me and he's going to answer my prayers. He knows what's in between. I think about Daniel. And uh, he, he made this petition to the Lord. And he waited and fasted. And 21 days later, an angel from heaven shows up. And the angel says, Daniel, the minute that you made your petition, God heard you and dispatched me with an answer. But I got tied up with the prince of Persia, which is this demonic authority in the second heaven, right? There's three heavens. There's the heaven that we live in biblically, which is the the earth, the natural here. Then there's what's called the second heaven, which is the spiritual, kind of where the demonic lives, I guess. And then the third heaven is where God's throne is, okay? So traveling from the third heaven with God's response to his prayer to the first heaven where Daniel actually is to receive that response is this demon called the prince of Persia. Right? The, the scripture says that we don't battle against flesh and blood, but about, against powers and principalities and authorities. These evil spirits are who we battle with. So this angel, might have been Gabriel, I don't remember, but this angel gets tangled up in this battle because the prince of Persia doesn't want this answer to get down. And God actually dispatches Michael, the archangel Michael, the chief warrior, the, the number one prince, to come down and bust this angel free from the prince of Persia so that he can actually get to Daniel and bring God's answer. Daniel had to contend. I'm I'm, I'm guessing that Daniel's contending probably had something to do with that actually all happening the way it did so that God's answer could get to him. Now, could God have just dealt with the prince of Persia because he's all-powerful and he's all-knowing and he's everywhere present? The answer is yeah, but it's not how he chose to do things. So we have to work within the way he chose to do things. And man, that's been a struggle for me, honestly, to some extent here in the last couple of months, is wanting his way to be my way versus submitting my way to his way. It's very humbling when when the Lord shows you that kind of a heart and you have to deal with it in your prayer and you have to confess it to God and to other people that, Lord, gosh, you know, I've been I've been making myself God over you. We have to contend. We have to not grow weary. And we have to understand that because we prayed for a week and nothing happened, something happened. It just hasn't all happened yet. All right? The Luke parallels of uh, Matthew 7, 7 and 8, the, the ask, seek, not, not scriptures. I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation because they're the ones, New Living actually is the one that translates it as continuously, and, and it'll add some more. There's another story in here. So Luke eleven five through 10 from the New Living Translation. Then teaching them more about prayer. Again, Jesus is teaching us to pray. 
He used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Hey, uh, seriously, man, shameless persistence is, is the way we need to be. Totally humble, humiliated, if that's what it takes, persistent to pray. And then he goes on and he says, and so I tell you. So he tells us the story about this guy. Guest shows up in the middle of the night. What, you know, Whoa, where'd you come from? And, and it would be bad if he didn't have something to offer them. But he doesn't. So he runs next door and he's beating on his friend's door. And he says, hey, I got to have bread. These guys showed up in my house. And the guy's like, shut up and get away from here. I'm sleeping. My kids are in bed. Door's locked. Come see me in the morning. God says that that guy, even their good friends, friendship isn't getting him out of bed. Getting him to stop knocking on the door gets him out of bed. It's the persistence to pray. So remember the Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Ask, seek, knock. He says, he tells us this story, and then he says this. And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. For everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Man, I wish I would have... Wish I would have recognized this as more than the how in this particular context and, and, and gathered a few some more scriptures on prayer. I, I can remember some off the top of my head. I might miss some, but he says, if you he says, everyone who asks receives. So if you have asked and you didn't receive, you just haven't asked enough yet. Right? The door hasn't been open for you. Everyone who seeks finds. If you've been seeking and haven't found, it's just because it hasn't happened yet. And everyone who knocks, the door will be open. So if you've been beating on the door and the door hasn't been opened yet, it's just because you need to knock more. Now, the caveat to that is that God answers prayer not just because we pray it. He answers prayer that are consistent with his will, right? He answers prayer that is um, founded in good motive, right? I think it's James that says, um, when you pray, what does he say? You ask and you do not receive because you do not you do not receive because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you ask with wrong motives and you don't receive because you, you, you seek for your own pleasures versus seeking for God's will. And there's a third one. One is Oh, and you ask with faith. Thank you. So so if you're asking, or James says the same thing, anybody that lacks wisdom, ask for wisdom. But if you ask God for wisdom, you have to believe that you have it. Because anyone that asks God for something that would be consistent with his will, wisdom, godly wisdom, but doesn't believe they're going to get it, is double-minded. They're like a ship who's in an ocean, and the wind's blowing all over the place, but there's no rudder in the water. In this case, believing faith in God that he will give you what you ask for is the rudder that would keep you going in the direction that he wants and that you actually will receive and that wisdom will be beneficial to you. So he says if you ask, you're going to get an answer. If you seek, you're going to find. If you knock, the door will be open. The only caveat is those three things. You've got to pray in faith. You've got to pray with right motives. And you have to pray what's God's will so that those things will be answered. Amen? Amen. Okay. I thought I was going to have to give you the context of this next scripture. 
Maybe I will a little bit, but it's the scripture that was in the target prayer. Now, Lisa read it from the message. I'm going to read it to you from the New American Standard Bible. But basically, Israel, because of their disobedience, has been given over to Babylon. And most of them, you know, all of their rich guys and, and their smart guys and people have been taken to Babylon into captivity. Um, Israel's basically been laid waste. And, and there's a season where they're going to have to stay there because they're being punished for their disobedience. And if God blesses disobedience, then we're happy to walk in disobedience, right? He can't, especially for his people. Now, people that don't know Jesus, I honestly think, well, the scripture says he blesses everybody. But I think he'll bless a non-believer, in ways that he won't bless a believer because he can't reinforce bad behavior in us with blessing, right? Okay, so Israel has gotten themselves in a pinch with God. They've wandered away from him. When they walk in his ways, he says he'll bless them. They're not walking in his ways, so he's dealing with that. They end up in Babylon. And, and this, the, the bigger part of this prayer, the beginning part of this prayer is that there's going to come a time when you're going to cry out and I'm going to hear you, but you haven't gotten to that place in your hearts yet. So he says, uh, Jeremiah 29, 12 and 13, then you will call upon me then. When you get to that place, you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So maybe there's a, maybe there's a fourth caveat in there that God is not interested in our petty, casual, you know, throw a quarter in the vending machine and get a cupcake kind of a prayer that there has to be some amount of Something that's got to go behind it. There's got to be some force behind it, which he says here is um, all of your heart. So in, in the context of the beginning, remember, we're talking about the how, and it's weird to talk about the how when you don't know what the what is, but the principle applies across all of Scripture, right? There's a specific what that we're going to find next week, but the how is, as a principle works for no matter what. Amen? Amen? Okay, good. I hope I'm making sense to you. You're going to seek him and you're going to find him when you search for him with all your heart. No casualness. Maybe that's why this revelation scripture is at the end. Hebrews 11.6 And without faith it is impossible to please him, him being God. For he, he who comes to God must believe that he, God, is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. The reward comes in the seeking. If there's treasure in the ground, and I don't put a shovel to the dirt, the treasure stays in the ground. Amen? Okay. We have to seek after God. Next week, the what is kind of an answer to the reward. What is that reward? So then to to start to wrap up, the how part of this, the how, the what, and the why, the how part of this is passionate, it's unrelenting, it's prayer. I, I don't know what anybody's prayer life is like, my prayer life has been under serious attack. Um, I don't know if it's compromise. I don't know if it's literally attack, you know, like the like enemy attack on me. But I have had to contend for every minute of prayer for the last, I don't know, months. Not, I mean, I'm not just talking about a bad week. I'm talking about having to contend with myself, what it feels like myself. Since we've been home from India, maybe. Yeah, seriously contend. Contend to get out of bed. Contend to stay focused in prayer. Contend to worship. Contend to believe. And, and I don't know, maybe God's just get testing me. I don't know what, what this is. I, I really hope it's a test because if it's just me backsliding, I don't know. You'll have to pray hard for me because I don't want to be a backslider. It's passionate. It's prayer. 
It's consistent. It's not a minute. It's not two minutes. I mean, yeah, okay. It's, it's, it's that. The how part. If we're going to have the what, we have to engage the how. Passionate, unrelenting pursuit in prayer. One thing we want to be careful with, too. Have you ever prayed for something? You didn't see the, the response to your prayer. And you say, well, it just must not be God's will. Right? You know, if God wanted to do that, he would have responded to my prayer. A week into the 21 days, Daniel could have thought that, right? He could have said, you know, I really thought God would want to answer this question, but it must not be his will, so I'm, you know, I'll move on to something else. We can get a sense for God's will from his word, right? Matter of fact, that's the only sense we really have for God's will. We have no other sense for God's will. The only other sense we have for God's will would be Holy Spirit. But to, to, to take what would be an impression, what would be a thought, because that's how Holy Spirit speaks to us most of the time, 99% of the time, and, and decide that's God's will without the context of Scripture ain't someplace we want to go, right? I mean, I, I only pretty girl I ever see, but this is just an example. I see a pretty girl, right? Maybe I work in the office and she's new in the office and, you know, I, I want to be a nice co-worker, so I, I take the new girl a cup of coffee and, ooh, she's got a really wonderful personality and I really think, you know, we could hit it off and maybe we could do some work together. And all of a sudden, this wrong relationship starts to build up in my heart. But I don't know God's word. Maybe I'm a Christian. I come to church on Sundays, but I don't read his word. And I start praying, Lord, is that you? Is there something that, that you have that you need me for this girl, you know? Oh, yeah, Lord, okay. Yeah, you want me to help her because she doesn't know you how she should. And Oh, yeah, I got this wife. Lord, should I, is it your will? I mean, honest to goodness, you can walk yourself down such a silly path to thinking that it's God's will that you have someone that's not your wife because you don't know the word. And you say, well, it's the Holy Spirit God told me. It's like he did not. He didn't tell you. How do I know he didn't tell you? Because in here it says he hates divorce. Now, if you're divorced, I mean, he hated it, but that's water that's gone under your bridge. It's not to persecute anybody that's ever gone through a divorce. But my point is that if you think that hearing God's voice so that you know that you're praying in his will comes outside of knowing his word. I should point at this, not the iPad. Outside of knowing his will or his word, you are so, so open for uh, deception. You ought to stop right now. At the very least, go ask somebody that you know is in the Word and then get yourself in the Word so that you don't end up in a place that you wish you weren't going to go. Because those thoughts, at the very least, are your flesh, but more likely are demonically inspired. Okay, so we've got to be very careful when we say, well, it must not have been God's will or he would have done it. No, it might have been you gave up too early. That's what he's been speaking to me. The Lord has been so impressing on me about the importance of prayer and how casual we are about prayer. Yeah, I just feel like I'm the mean guy sometimes. I will. I just want to find nice words. Yeah. Well, God's done that for me. I mean, I've had a message two or three times, and I felt like I was just ugly in my spirit, and, I, and the Holy Spirit would make me aware, and I'd say, Lord, how do I preach this in love? I mean, you have to, you have to give me, and it, and, and it happens. I mean, it actually comes out right because the Holy Spirit can help me that way. The, the point I was going to make is that you know, we have prayer on Wednesday nights, 
But we have a very small community of people that come, but they're very faithful, pray people that come. And, and I know that not everybody can come, um, but I would, I would just ask you to be sincerely considering what your prayer life looks like, your, your personal prayer life and your corporate prayer life. And if corporate prayer equals you and your wife or you and your friend, that's better than just only ever you by yourself. But more so corporate prayer as the body coming together because there's not an addition factor. If there's two people, if there's one person praying, you get one person's prayer effect. If you have two people, it's not one plus, well, that doesn't work very good. If you have three people, <laughs> that is neither. It's a multiply and not an add, okay? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a multiplication factor, not an add factor. It, 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 it multiplies like when you put that grain of corn in the ground, and up comes all those grains of corn from just one. It's, it's not a plus, it's a times. Okay, let me spin myself out of this thing. Be careful to say it's not God's will. If you look at God's word and he says that Jesus bore all our sicknesses and our diseases and we're carrying sickness in our body, it's not his will. We need to pray it off and keep praying it off and not think anything wrong with God. We don't know what we're praying against. Okay. Genesis 32, 24 through 38. This is Jacob. Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the, so, the so-, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Let me back up. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with Jacob until daybreak. When the man saw that he had not prevailed against Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with the man. Then he said, then he, the man, said, let me go for dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He, the man, said to Jacob, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men, and have prevailed. So it's a picture of perseverance. Jacob, it turns out, is wrestling with the angel of the Lord, I guess. And, and I should have looked up what Israel means. Jacob is like heel grabber, right? He was born with Jacob and Esau, and he was number two out. So he's like holding his brother, twin brother's heel as he's coming out of the womb. And heel grabber is not like a really cool name if you're, you know, back in his day. It's a, it's a bad name. It's not a name you would pick. And so for some reason, Jacob is wrestling and wrestling. And, and literally, the angel of the Lord, God himself, is just like, I'm done with this. I'm going now. It's morning. And he says, no, you haven't blessed me yet, and I'm not turning you loose until I get a blessing. It's a picture of how we ought to contend for the things that God says are ours in his word. Hallelujah. All right. God's will. God's will. So what do you think? Was God's will to change his name or not? I think it was. I think if Jacob would have let him go, like he said, hey, it's time for breakfast. Loose me. Jacob would be still Jacob. It would be the 12 tribes of Jacob, not the 12 tribes of Israel. He would not have gotten his blessing. Now, maybe something would have happened again, but I think it was God's will for his name to be changed to Israel. But it happened because he contended for what God's will was. 
The how is passionate and persistent prayer. It's holding on until God says, okay, here it is. You've overcome the Prince of Persia or whatever it is that's in between your prayer and my will for you. It's, it's now because you contended for it. Those who persevere to the end will be saved. Okay, um, last scripture I want to read to you, and it made perfect sense to me when I put it in here. I'm not exactly sure why it's in here now. But the Holy Spirit, I'm sure, will help me. And it was the scripture that they, that they, he said it lit off. When they, when they started to ponder and to, and to chew on this scripture is when target prayer, the Holy Spirit started to, to come to life and speak to them. So it's interesting to me. You know, I've got a half a dozen scriptures. The Bible's got a million of them. And two of my half a dozen happen to be the ones that the Lord was placing on their hearts over there. So Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 through 19. Usually when I see this scripture, I think in terms of salvation. I don't think it's, it's that in this context today. Jesus is speaking to the church. I believe it's at Laodicea. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Wow, he's speaking to me as I read. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need for nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I advise to you, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I say, I have to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. I think what he's saying is this. Church, Pat Brady, you're lukewarm. You're not. And honestly, I'm coming to the place where I think cold is good and hot is good. But anything in between isn't. Cold isn't like turned off towards God and hot necessarily on flame towards God. It's, a, it's, it's you're someplace. You're someplace. But you're lukewarm, you're no place. And the reason that you're lukewarm is because you think you're okay. But you measure you're okay by the world. Amen. You don't measure you're okay by the Spirit. So you think to yourself, well, man, you know, I've got a house to live in. i got a car to drive. You know, I've got a little bit of money in my pocket. Health is generally okay. So I don't have any passion. But what God is saying is you don't understand. You've been deceived by the things that you have to not desire the things that you need. So he says, be zealous and repent, church, because you're deceived by thinking you got what you want. And how true is it? If, if I said to any one of you, or somebody else, <laughs> your family is perfect and healthy, and then all of a sudden you found out that your child had leukemia, what would your prayer life look like? Because you'd know you needed something, right? You'd be all about what I need. So if I feel satisfied and I don't pursue God in prayer, even if it's just to find out what he wants me to want, I'm lukewarm. But when I have a need, like, "Uh uh-oh, I lost my job. What do I do? Oh, I'm going to start to pray. God, oh, I need you now. Knock down the Prince of Persia. Quick, come with the answer. He probably will honor us to some extent, but it's not the way he desires us to live. Oh, everything's good. 
The prayer then should be, God, what should I pray? On my knees. I remember the guy, Dan, what's his name? We heard him speak. Guys, when he was a brand new believer, he was so enamored with God. He wasn't a guy that came to the Lord with all kinds of problems. His life wasn't a mess. But he locked himself in a room to know God. And because he did that, he got these amazing revelations. And he learned how to hear God's voice. So that if everything seems to be okay, but we're probably, in a spiritual sense, blind and naked and wretched and poor and miserable, that's what Jesus says, you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, then we ought to get to a place where we're developing a prayer life that would ask us, Lord, help me to see my wretchedness. Help me to see my blindness. Help me to see my nakedness. Help me, Lord, that I would have this salve I could put on my eyes so that I could see clearly righteous robes that I could put on myself, gold from you refined by fire. Gold refined by fire is going to cost you something, right? Because how that yuck gets out sometimes has to get worked out. It's like the kidney stone. The body got to push it out, and when it's trying to get it out, it's a cramping muscle. It hurts like crazy, but it doesn't come out unless the process works itself. So maybe that's where we'll close today. The how is passionate. It's not casual. It's not, you know, when I get a minute. It's, It's deciding to be committed to seek out the Lord and his will so that we'll know. Now, next week, we're going to talk about what it is in, in the context of Matthew 7, 7 through 12. What's he speaking of specifically? The prayer thing, the principle works across all of your Christian walk with the Lord. But the specific, I, I think this, there's a specific that he's talking about, and we'll get that next week, okay? Okay. Now, on Wednesday nights, a shameless plug for Wednesday nights, because God has been impressing upon us this need to pray, what we've been trying to do is every Wednesday night, anybody that needs prayer for like a physical thing, I mean, we'll pray for anything, of course, but, but specifically if there's a physical need, you know, a kidney stone or a flu or a, you know, a, a bad back or bad knees or whatever that might be, that every week everybody prays for everybody that has a need. And, and we get maybe you know, 12 to 15 or 16 people pr- fairly consistently on Wednesday nights. Be like all but two have a need. How wrong is that in God's kingdom, that, that 12 out of 14 have some kind of physical need that's not been met yet by prayer? So what we're believing is that we're going to continue to whack at that oak tree. We're whacking at that oak tree. We're whacking at that oak tree until it comes down because it's God's will for it to come down. We just haven't whacked it enough times yet, right? That said, you may have something that needs a whack or two put on it this morning. Don't be shy to get prayer. Don't be shy to get prayer. So maybe as we close the service, Isaac, if you want to just maybe play the piano, man, we'll have, you can let the lights down. And, and if you need prayer, come forward. And, and if you can pray, come and pray. And, and if you want to tell the person, maybe it's personal what you need prayer for, and you don't want to say, that's perfectly okay. We can just say, God, you know, and I'm praying your will, Lord, that whatever this thing is, that you're taking care of it. But if you're comfortable to tell somebody, hey, you know, I got a hitch in my giddy-up, pray that you know it goes away, then, then we can pray specifically that the hitch gets out of your giddy-up, okay? All right, let me pray a minute. If you need prayer, come on forward. And let's be a church that is committed to prayer so that the mountains move, because that's how they get moved. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the power 
associated with prayer. Thank you that your spirit inside of us will help us to persevere and to not give up, Lord, to continue, 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 continue until the mountain moves. Thank you for your love. Fill us, God, more. We can ask for love and know that it's in your will. We ask that you fill us, continually fill us, Lord, and give us opportunities to release your love in this world. Lord, help us to be that city on a hill, the salt of the earth, God, to truly be a lamp with no basket over top of it. Lord, help us to be totally, totally, totally walking in your will. Be a blessing to you and a blessing to others. So we pray always in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, have a great week. Don't be shy. Come up here and get prayer.